This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will teach you how to build wealth on Main Street without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lotes, and today our guest is Gabriel Lajeunesse. Gabriel is a wealth manager who works with high-income, ultra-high net worth investors who have built their wealth and built their income primarily through real estate investing. Today, we're digging into why there aren't more financial advisors and wealth managers who work with real estate investors, what financial advisors and wealth managers can offer to real estate investors. It's actually more than you think. And his thoughts on the state of the market today and so much more. This is a very unique conversation because, as I mentioned, there are not a lot of people in his position who work with successful real estate investors. So we're getting a unique angle today and a lot of education on what real estate investors often need when they hit a certain level in their real estate investing, talking about five, 10 plus million dollar net worth and more. A lot of great info in this one. You're going to learn a ton. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lotz. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. To date, I've acquired, partnered on, or had a hand in over $250 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us in the future, just go to investwithtaylor.com or click the link in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Now let's go with Gabriel. Gabriel, thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to talk about high net worth investors and how you help them in the real estate space. Before we dive into it, though, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and what you do? Yeah, thanks, Taylor. Thanks uh, for having me on today. So I'm Gabe Lajeunesse. I'm with uh, UBS Wealth Management Financial Services uh, up in Burlington, Vermont, covering really the eastern seaboard. Most of my clients are up and down the east coast. Uh, you know, I, I fell into this space of real estate, you know, by birth in a way. My dad's a home builder. My brother's a home builder. So I've just been around it. And as a financial advisor, when you get into the space for a while, people tell you, oh, that your niche will find you, right? You just, what do you get attracted to? Who do you work well with? And I noticed that, you know, if I went through my top clients, I had all these real estate developers and investors and and just recognize the value that I'm adding to their business, right? Even if the majority of their wealth um, is outside of public markets, that having somebody to work with side by side, you know, as they're trying to hit their business goals and they're trying to scale up and they're trying to grow uh, and make big bus business decisions, having somebody um, next to them. So I just really enjoy working with clients helping them as they're developing their goals, you know, turning those things into plans of action. And, um, you know, it's some deep work, but I, I really appreciate it. Great. So financial advisors in real estate or mixing the two is incredibly uncommon. I mean, I'm sure you're aware of that, but I can't think of anybody else in the financial advisement space who's really specialized on working with real estate investors. And I'd like to dig into why a real estate investor, once they hit a certain level, might want to consider working with a financial advisor. So what have you found are kind of the major needs that folks have when they start to come to you? Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I, I think that um, some of the concerns that you see, and, and depending on your market you're in right now, you can see this in the moment, worries about uncertain economic times, right? So depending on when somebody started a project, 
uh, and when their debt's coming due and, you know, what it looks like to be able to do a full lease up of a property. I mean, that can, that can change a lot of things just over the last couple of years, right? People can be in a very different financial and economic situation today than they were a couple of years ago. So how do you manage the ups and downs of the market, right? How do you deal with that? So I think having that's, you know, having that financial advisor in your hip pocket allows you to build whatever cushion it is. How do you work through that? How do you preserve what you've built um, for, you know, the generations that come behind you? How do you preserve a business that you've built for employees or others that may, you know, take that over after you're gone? So again, that's, that's a, a really important part that I play. Um, also, I think, you know, the employee side of it, you know, shouldn't be, um, you know, misstated, right, or, or not understood fully. You know, you think of the workforce challenges that we have. And again, I think it depends on where you're at. Um, you know, I, I'm up in the Northeast. And so we see it, you know, it's really, really difficult to find good employees up here. I know in the Sun Belt, it's a little bit different, but still, I mean, this is what's driving wage increases. There's just fewer and fewer people um, in the workforce and particularly those that want to do labor intensive and very technical jobs. You know, you just don't have as many. It seems that there's, it's really difficult to grab them, hold on to them and keep them. And so that's where a conversation about how we work with the benefits that you provide, you know, things like profit sharing and retirement plans. I mean, it's just one piece of an overall uh, package that you're going to provide to your employees, but it's, it's an important part, right? And going in and being able to, you know, you think of uh, a retirement plan where somebody's coming in and doing education and a lot of those, the labor employees, some of these folks, like if they have a thousand dollar expense, many of them don't have the money to cover that. Well, you know, having a financial wellness benefit to what you're doing um, along with your retirement plan, helping educate people about having emergency savings and things. Those are something that that's value that I bring to business owners, right? Is working with their employees so they can retain their, uh, their talent. Um, and then, you know, I, I really do think there's the, the taxation issues and the, the, how do you pass things on to your family? You know, you see people work so hard in this space and they take so much risk and, um, you know, you, you think of what they've built and, you know, trying to figure out how do we pass this on, right? How do we um, lever what we've done? How do we create great circumstances for our children, grandchildren, for our charities that we care about? How do we uh, do great things for our employees, right? So it's, you start getting to a space where you've achieved success, right? And But now you're starting to think about the next stages and certainly taxation uh, plays a big part of that along with, you know, just the the strategies along estate planning and things like that. So those are three areas that I really come into is like, how, how do I help you have a cushion through the ups and downs of the market? How do I help you attract and retain employees? And then how do I help you with wealth transfer strategies? Great. So first off, let's drill down into the wealth transfer aspect. And there's a lot there. What do you find for your clients are some of the most popular tools that they can use to pass on their wealth to their heirs and utilize all the tax advantages that are available? in that process? Like what, what strategies do you typically implement with them? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's going to be really complicated because it's case by case. And so I can't, you know, I can't say here's the general strategy, but I will say this, right. For people who have built that very successful business, um, there's going to be an exit. And if you haven't thought about your exit, you know, some of the dangers I guess would say is that people start to think about their exit a little too late, right? Maybe they've got a a hard medical diagnosis or a family challenge or something that's come up and they realize, okay, I need to start turning things over. And when you think about the saleability of business businesses, right? We bring in like 
we've got a huge capability to help mid-market companies figure out about selling their, their business. You really want to be working with somebody like me years before you do it, right? You want your balance sheet to look a certain way. You want your personnel to be a certain kind of structure where somebody could step in and really um, take over, right, from where you left off. Uh, that's what makes it a saleable business. And then in terms of the structures, I mean, a lot of it will just depend, right? I mean, is there equipment? Is there a lot of equipment? Is there a huge depreciation recapture? Um, just so many strategies, right? But things where, you know, you could have an employee buyout or, you know, do some kind of uh, exchange of, of equity. There's a lot of strategies that can be brought to play to try to minimize um, capital gains. But, you know, obviously that's the, the, not the worst thing in the world. If you have taxes to pay, it means you've, you know, you've made money. And so sometimes you're going to pay the taxes, but you're going to evaluate all those different options and strategies. And we'll bring in a whole team uh, behind our clients to help them figure that out. Okay. And on the topic of being able to prepare for and, and have the ups and downs and have enough liquidity prepared. So real estate is a very illiquid asset class, you know, kind of no matter what you're investing in, it takes a lot of time to transact in, but at the portfolio level, we need to have liquidity so we can prepare for some of those unexpected events. How do you think about balancing the risk across a portfolio when at least a portion or maybe the majority of the portfolio is illiquid, but you need to have a liquid portion still, you know, maximizing the overall return. Like, how do you think about balancing all those priorities, having liquidity, maximizing returns, but not taking too much risk? Yeah, I think like everything else, you know, it's, it's stepping back and really seeing what the risk is. And so it's so individual and unique, right? I know some of your uh, some of your listeners, right? They might have a full-time job as a, a surgeon somewhere or something, right? And for those guys, you know, the risk that they may be taking, you know, that's not going to impact their livelihood per se. Uh, they still have cash flow coming in. They still have a, a great profession they're really good at. Uh, but for some people, right, if you're the operator that's out there on the ground getting things up and down and all of a sudden you've got, you know, uh, some bridge loan that was three and a half percent coming due and it's going to be eight, <laughs> it's going to be eight percent. All of a sudden the situation looks really different. And so, yeah, there's ways of, you know, do you do a capital call? Did you build in enough reserves? You know, where you're sort of thinking through that, but as a financial advisor, as we sit and look at risks, right, there's an idea of you have long-term money. This is the money, you know, if you think of like retirement money, right, that's long-term money that can have a certain risk profile, Right. And that can be, you know, very, very different than something that's short term money. So I think, again, of, you know, people in this space who are operating, um, you're going to you may have some incredibly liquid reserve funds. Right. That's just going to be in like very short term instruments that are going to move as interest rates move or something that's immediately accessible. You might have something that's a little bit more intermediate term, just depends on people's circumstance. But I, I do, I, I watch people and they may constantly be like, they know that they have their next deal coming and they need to stack cash, right? So we'll develop strategies for that. Like I need to have capital available for when this you know development is done and therefore we need to uh, have cash available for the next opportunity when there's the perfect piece of land to entitle. I need to be ready to act, right? And I will say it is really interesting working with folks because when when they say I need to be ready to act, they really mean it. You know, it's like they they want it. You know, sometimes it, it's like, hey, it takes like a business week to do some of these transactions. You know, but um, but you know, like they got a hot deal, right? And they want to act and they want to put earnest money down and they want to, you know, they got to start getting the engineering done, right? Because these things come up. And frankly, I think we're moving into an environment like that where there will be some opportunities that we haven't seen, right? We've got the largest wealth generation or wealth transfer 
um, in history, right, with baby boomers all retiring and sort of exiting. And they need to sell those assets and pass them on to other, other people. So folks that are coming up in a high interest rate environment um, where there's a, you know, a lot of uh, markdowns and some of what these properties were from just a couple of years ago, there are tremendous opportunities, but you need the liquidity to be able to do it, right? So again, you know, if, if I have a client that's got some long-term money, but then we also have these that are, this is just an account. We know this is, this is working, this is working reserves, you know, for this specific project, right? That's my 10% inject into this capital stack that we're raising. So um, those are all, those are all part of what we do, right? Is helping people get to that next place. Okay. So we all make foolish decisions from time to time. Are there any foolish decisions for want of a better term, but I'm going to stick with that term anyway, that you see clients make, or you, you know, have to work to try to talk them out of it. I'll give you an example. So we had the NFT and crypto boom, you know, a couple of years ago, I frankly saw right through it, but I saw a lot of my real estate investing colleagues kind of getting sucked into this exciting new toy when there's a lot of real estate out there to be acquired. Did you see a lot of that? I mean, what are some of the mistakes or foolish decisions you see clients make in this space? Yeah, I would just say, you know, if I think back over the last five years, you know, you're going to have somebody that comes in that says, you know, hey, I've got this this thing, right? Like pot stocks are the way to go, right? Or uh, I, I need to buy a board ape or whatever it is. And so we've got great research material on all these various things that come out. And so we'll just do some education. I'll give them something to read. We'll do a little education. And then if you think like general education, right? If, if you're looking at, um, you know, an investment pyramid, you know, where, where you've got these different layers of risk, usually at the very peak of that, that's going to be something that's very speculative, right? So most of those things that you're talking about are speculative. We don't have, there's no market data that we can use to predict the direction of the board ape, right? Like, I don't know, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever the NFT is, right? Um, so, uh, you know, w when you think about that, how much, what percentage of a portfolio should be placed into something like that? And we've got some guidelines that, again, we would do education and then the client, certainly if they want to go out and they, they just want to grab onto whatever that NFT is and they think it's the next thing, they, they, you know, they have their own agency to make their own choices, but certainly we're going to give them education. We're going to help them understand some of the risks that are involved um, with that. And, uh, and, and again, then, and then if, even if they do, so they make this investment over here, it could be anything, it could be something like what you do. That's, that's, you know, something easier to understand the, the probable return, but then we're stacking up what we're doing over here. We're saying, how does this layer in, right? We understand do you have these assets over here that are generating this kind of cash flow? And these are the projections. And that's what we're going to do in financial planning. We're going to say, how does the rest of what we're doing over here, even if it, you know, this, this pot that we're managing is a minority for a lot of real estate people, as I, I said, it is the money I'm managing in the market, maybe substantial, but it's probably a minority of some of their wealth positions. And, but how does it layer into what they're doing? Um, you know, and you know, there's, there are people who have really successful, uh, operational models that are going to, you know, consistently year over year do things that, you know, capital markets are, are not going to do for them, right? Because it's, it's their business, they're expert at it. And they've got, they've really figured out how to make, uh, you know, some really good um, annualized yields. And, uh, and, and we love that. I, I love, you know, entrepreneurs that go out and do great things. What would you say are the biggest misconceptions real estate investors have about what you do? Most will, right? They, they'll get to a place where they realize 
that they need it. But, it, you know, we're probably coming in a little bit later. You know, if you think of, again, you know, when you got into this space, you know, every penny that you have is, is going into your next deal, right? That's just the general feeling that I have as I, as I meet real estate investors. And so then they're in this position where they've got, you know, all this capital and it's all expended and, um, and it's not very liquid, right? Maybe they can borrow, but in the current market, maybe they can't, right? And so how do you get, how do you tap into any of that equity? What is it that you, you're going to do? And then they realize. Um, and so, you know, I, I think part of the, the value that I add in getting out and getting on programs like yours and just talking about this is to say, hey, look, you know, yes, you have a, you have a different business model and it's very successful and we love that. And it, it does look different than what, you know, your neighbor's doing in, in, you know, in a capital market sense. But there is still a place for capital markets, right? And having a relationship with a bank can really be valuable because maybe you can get some really competitive interest rates because you've got a long-term relationship with um with the bank. So there's just, there's a lot of things that come into it, but I say, you know, Hey, just, just, you know, check us out, compete, compete us. If you're trying to figure something out, like, let's see where we come in and let's see if we can add value. And I think in most cases, um, people will do that, but if they can do it earlier, I think they, they just be better off. They'd be able to weather. You think of that risky part of it, you know, that, that first concern, like how do we weather the ups and downs of markets? I think bringing somebody, um, to work with earlier would, would help, people get through that better. Okay. So what has been an effective strategy or strategies for you to connect with clients? Burlington, Vermont does not strike me as a, the, the, the haven of high net worth real estate investors <laughs> who are looking for wealth management services, but it's working for you. So what has been working for you to build client relationships? Yeah. You know, I, I think every little community, every tertiary market, there are uh, usually a handful of people that really control a lot of the real estate assets. And so, you know, I think if an advisor was out there that wanted to, to work on this, they certainly, there'd be room in their community to do it. I think, you know, the reality of being, you know, sort of having a niche inside of this space is, yeah, it, it is helpful for me to pick up and travel. And it it's happened sort of anyway, you know, I started with a, a very, you know, typical retirement income practice and necessarily being in the, the Northeast where it gets cold in the winter, you get a lot of clients that start to migrate South. And so there have been reasons for a number of years to be traveling, you know, into the Sunbelt. But as you start um, recognizing these needs that exist and you start recognizing the wealth transfer that's happening and the opportunities that exist out there, you start saying, okay, well, you know, maybe I should be trying to talk to some of the, my counterparts, uh, you know, on the real estate side in these great MSAs, they're booming, right? Like, let's talk to people in Miami. Let's talk to people in New York city. Uh, let's talk, or let's, let's go to Raleigh and have those conversations. I think that's in the wealth management space. I don't think that's that atypical. I think uh, many of my peers also have niches they work in, and then they tend to travel somewhat because, you know, there's a, there's a pool inside their local market. That's how they got good at it to begin with. But then they recognize they had a skill that would extend across geographies and they just get their licenses in the States they want to work in. So in working with your, you know, more experienced, longer term clients who have been around the block a few times and have seen the ups and downs of the real estate space, what do you see as their take? And what is your take as well on the state of the real estate market, considering all of the interest rate increases and we've had over the last, you know, year and a half plus and all the ups and downs and everything that we're seeing happening. What are your thoughts and, and what are your clients' thoughts on the state of the real estate market? 
Yeah, I thank you for that question. I think it really just depends on what what phase of your life cycle you're in, right? Like, um, there are tremendous opportunities, and I'm definitely working with people that recognize the tremendous opportunities that exist as as things reposition somewhat over the next few years. Um, and and there also are, uh, you know, some downsides, right? I mean, for some people that maybe thought they were going to exit at the height of a market, may, maybe a couple of years ago would be better than today, right? Just in terms of valuations. But I think, you know, what we've done when we, if you look at any of our real estate analysis, you know, we say, look, commercial real estate has been really painted with a broad brush and it's not realistic to what's actually happening in the market, right? We have office is incredibly under pressure because of the change in our society. And so certainly if you go to New York City or San Francisco and you look at the research, you know, CBRE or any of these other firms do on uh, the worst, you know, hit buildings. I mean, there's, you know, there's some significant vacancies and there's going to need to be devaluations where they haven't happened already. But there are a lot of bright spots. And so there's been a lot of discussion, I think, about uh, residential because of some of the areas I know you mentioned that, you, you know, that you're in. Um, are they being overbuilt? You know, is, is there too much capacity coming online? Um, you know, we can look at quarterly numbers and say, okay, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe you know, uh, residentials, you know, down a few percent this year. But the reality is when we look at the supply and demand, you know, we would say residential's a good space. We would say industrial, even though it's same kind of thing. If you look at the numbers with industrial, it's come down somewhat. I mean, there are constantly things coming out, you know, that CHIPS Act trying to um, incentivize, uh, you know, the building of, of microchips here in the United States. I mean, there's there's reasons to build new factories here in, in the U.S. And so you're starting to see that. And so, and then uh, retail, which if you remember just a few years ago, people thought, oh, retail's dead. Um, everybody's just going to have everything delivered by drones to their front door. Uh, but what you're, when you're looking at uh, grocery anchored retail in particular, and when you're looking at, you know, uh, vacancy rates, you know, uh, you know, it's like 90 some percent occupancy. It's really in demand. Uh, you know, I think for, and there's not really any new retail under construction for the most part. It's not a place that's been overbuilt. There are some very bright spots inside of commercial real estate. I think the focus has just been on, hey, we've got, you know, a couple trillion dollars of debt coming due in the next few years. And, you know, how is this all going to work out? Um, and these buildings are worth, you know, the doom loop that we read about, like when people talk about New York City, these people, they're moving out, they're vacant, they can't pay their property taxes, they're turning the keys back over. What does that mean for the city? I mean, you know, New York's a great city, San Francisco's a great city, they'll reinvent themselves, there will be a workout, that's an opportunity for younger folks. Um, but, you know, I think when you look at it, it just depends where, where you're at in the market cycle. But again, this is where if you had somebody like me that you were working with, you know, it it, I'm not going to say it's not concerning if you just had to write off like 30% of the value of your office building in Manhattan. That certainly concerns people, right? Uh, but if you, you have plenty of liquidity and, you know, like you just know you can weather any storm, um, it's uncomfortable. But, you know, that people have seen, you know, if you're a real estate pro, you've seen these market cycles. And this is, this is just a different kind of uh, cycle, right? Where we're having hybrid work and, you know, kind of reinvention of our downtowns. Mm, interesting. So it sounds like a sense of cautious optimism, but with the acknowledgement that some asset classes are in some areas in a bit of trouble, if I'm interpreting what you're saying. Yeah. Correctly. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think certainly everybody can acknowledge that office, there's going to be some devaluations and some workouts that are going to happen there for sure. Glad we dug into that today. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Tracking your rental property business no longer needs to be a hassle. 
Stessa, a new financial technology company, helps real estate investors just like you take their real estate rental portfolio to the next level by automating the financials of their rental property portfolio. You can get started with just 20 bucks a month to take your rental business to the next level by tracking your properties, automatically collecting rent, tracking your expenses, and so much more. Using technology can take so much of the hassle out of owning a rental property portfolio. So check out Stessa today by using our link in the description and you can get started for free or upgrade to their pro package for just $20 a month. This type of software can save you a ton of time. Go check out Stessa today by using our link in the show notes. Now back to the show. All right, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm, I'm ready. Great. First one, what is your number one book recommendation? Okay, I'd say Les Miserables, Victor Hugo. It's a really long book. You have to read like 100 pages uh, to just get through the sewer scene, but it is amazing. You may have seen the, the musical, but you got to read the book. It's just incredible. Interesting choice. Okay, wow. I have not read that, but uh, I'll, I'll consider it. I do enjoy fiction. So we had question number one. Now we go to number two. Who or what inspires you? Uh, you know, it's I, I would tell you my my kids. I've got uh, I got a couple boys and a daughter, and I see this younger generation, and I see their friends, and I you know for all the doomsayers, and I just look at this whole younger generation. I look at my my boys and my daughter, and I just feel like boy, we're in good hands. You know, the the future's bright. There's a lot of things we can turn the news on and we can be sad about a lot of things that are happening every day in the world, but we've got a really great generation coming up behind us. I appreciate you saying that. I, I feel good about uh, my generation, millennial, and then uh, Gen Z as well. So I think we've got good things uh, down the road. Yeah, my, old, my oldest is a, is a millennial and my youngest is a Gen Z. So, yeah. So my favorite question here at the end of the show Number three, think about 80-year-old Gabe. What does he have to say to Gabe of today? Yeah, that's a, what a great question. Um, you know, I, I think, and every year it seems like, you know, I'm, I'm 51 years old. You know, you get a little wisdom every, every you know, day that goes by, it seems like. And I, I think, you know, the, what I'm learning now, and I think I will know even better then, is the importance of relationships and connection and to be less transactional and just really enjoy the relationships that we have. I, I'm just, I seem to be learning that every day more and more. And, uh, you know, in some ways I wish I could replace some of the, the past and be better at that, you know, when I was younger, but, um, but, but I think that that's going to be something I continue to learn is the importance of relationships. Nice. I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If folks want to learn more about you, where can they track you down? Yeah, I would say, you know, if you Google, uh, you know, just, just find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. I love to network. I'd love to do calls or, you know, whatever it is that people want to do. Just love to connect that way. LinkedIn or Twitter. Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one.